0: Are either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. It's so bad. Looks like we've hit that time of the summer where we have weeks that movies are opening midweek. Right. We've had that happen here at least a couple of weeks in a row. May continue. We'll see. Probably has something to do with the holiday season, July 4th and all, welcome to the Screening Room Podcast. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we're from madwolf.com, and let's talk about some movies. We've got a few opening in the theaters nationwide, also one that's gone straight to streaming. Streaming, yeah. That's, uh, that's also in some theaters, and then a few that are out on home video this week, so kind of busy. So let's start right at the top with a new one by Edgar Wright. We've been looking forward to this one after being coerced into working for a crime boss. A young getaway driver finds himself taking part in a heist doomed to fail in Baby Driver.
1: So what is it you do?
0: I'm a driver. Oh, like a chauffeur? Anyone I'd know? I hope not. What is your name?
1: Baby.
0: Your name's Baby. B-A-B-Y Baby.
1: One more job and I'm done. One more
0: job and we're straight. Now, I don't think I need to give you this feature about what happens when you say no, how I could break your legs and kill everyone you love. Because you already know that, don't you? Yeah.
1: I want us to head west and never stop. You in? I'm in, baby. This would have been if not the tippy-top, very near the top of my excited-to-watch-this-summer movies. <laughs> you know, Edgar Wright is, is always so fun, and if you're not familiar with him, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, The World's End. He is a style. He, he does. He does. And this one is Very stylish. It's fun and poppy, and basically the entire film is set to the soundtrack, which is the the playlist playing in Baby's headphones because he's got he was in a car accident as a kid. He's got a little bit of a tinny noise. He always has he always has music playing, and then he kind of dances around town. And then this is how it's like the rhythm to his action, and more importantly to the way he drives a car.
0: Yeah, it's very cool. And Baby is his his nickname. All the players involved in these bank jobs, these heists. Don't use their real name, Doug. Sure. So they go by different nicknames, like Bats. Baby and Bats and Darling. Buddy and Darling and things like that. So that that's cool. It fits with the vibe. But yeah, the whole the whole movie has that real Edgar Wright uh, stamp on it. The way it moves, the way it's constantly has momentum. What's going on in the background? There's a laundromat scene where you know, the two characters, Baby and his girlfriend, are are in the laundromat, but What's going on behind how he orchestrates the laundry spinning around in these machines, not only their movement, but their color Colors. It's, is it's mesmerizing. It is. Yeah. It is.
1: It's fantastic. And it's not just the sound. Right. Because it, and, and this is the, this is the, this is true of all of his films. Yes. It's, you know, what's being painted on the walls yep. behind him, what the signs say, what just the action moving around the main characters. It, everything, everything is about momentum, which really fits this because it's a heist film.
0: And he's a, he's extremely he's an extremely visual movie maker. Yeah, um, everything. Yep. Um, and I'd say this one maybe a little less than some of the others does the is the narrative moved ahead with with visuals. I mean, th- this this to me was more of a complementary visuals than yeah, yeah. using the visuals for out and out storytelling to that he I think uses more in the what's what's called the Cornetto trilogy. Exactly. Um but but that doesn't mean it's any less effective it is and it is all tied in to the music in his head which is funny because considering that is a vehicle is a little gimmick I should say that's been used here in a couple of movies there's an there's an easy way that this could go stale.
1: It's true because if you think about it, you know, a, a boy, a young man with a mixtape and a tragic story about his mother That's this is the third time (laughs) in a very short time. Yeah, Guardians Guardians of the the Galaxy. (laughs) galaxy, Exactly, but but no, this is this is very much its own film, and it's funny because there's another heist movie coming up. There's it's it it hits on a lot of sort of very popular ideas at this moment, but but it does it really. It's just fun. It's just poppy, flashy fun. And I don't mean that in a sort of it's a dumb summer blockbuster way at all. It's a very bright film, but it's just, just a ton of fun to watch.
0: Yeah, and it's got a lot of great supporting characters. Uh, Baby is doing these jobs because he's indebted to the boss played by Kevin Spacey. And uh, Kevin Spacey likes to work, every time he he organizes a job, he likes to work with different characters except for Baby because he's such a great getaway driver. So we we see these different supporting characters come through and the main ones are played by Jamie Fox and um John, John Ham Isa Gonzalez even John Bernthal who is always good to see. he's in it for a little bit he's one of the characters too so we get these changing characters who come in to work on the jobs except for baby and of course it's the cliche where he wants to get out he wants to pay his debt once he's paid off his debt to uh, dock the boss, Kevin Spacey, then he wants to get out. Well, it's not that easy, as you knew it wouldn't be, which is an old-time cliche, but it kind of works here. And um, the, the whole thing is so, is so fresh and stylish that it, it, it kind of always has you on the edge of your seat, maybe not so much for the tension, but just the way it moves and the way things are constantly happening on screen, and you want to keep up and you want to be a part of it.
1: And, I, you know, and I think Ansel Elgert, who has not impressed me. He has not. To be not honest to with now. you, he has not. No. And this is, a, this is a big film and a, and a very talented cast for him to be the center of all of that. And I think he does a fine job because, and it's, as you said, it's not a new idea, right? First of all, it's a heist movie. There's another one coming out this summer. Heist movies are not, are not new. Oh, and, and
0: speaking of trailers that make me want to see the movie, if you're talking about Logan, Logan Lucky. Logan Lucky, yeah. Oh, my Lord. I saw that trailer and I want to see that movie right now. <laughs> But But back
1: to this one. (laughs) And, you know, right. And it's about a criminal who wants to do one last job and get out. and Right. I mean, there are so many things about this movie that make it it would feel stale. But but then the approach couldn't be fresher. But uh, as a lead, I think he does a very solid job. He's kind of awkward. Mm-hmm. Um, which is nothing that I think they highlight in his other films because his other films, he plays a teenage dreamboat. And in this one, you know, he's physically awkward, even though he dances a lot. And mm-hmm. I, I I, just found him very endearing and believable. He's a very, he's a good kid, which is the point. He's a good kid. Of course, he falls for a waitress played by Lily James, who's adorable. Yes. And they have a very sweet chemistry. And, and And in a lot of ways, especially when they focus on the two of those and then sort of his dream sequence about that, very, very retro, right? Very oh, yeah. wholesome throwback. Yeah. Um, just all the way around. Uh, the way the pieces are put together is, is just well, awesome. Yeah, and
0: that character works because the wholesomeness, because he's surrounded by all these bad dudes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he he works in the character. Number one, he is so baby-faced. Yes. So he fits that. That's probably how he got that, that nickname. But And he's surrounded by all these intimidating characters who just view him as this in fact, some, a couple of them are outright hostile to him Yes, uh, because he's part of the crew and he's such a young, you know, baby faced kid who doesn't, well, and he always has his headphones right, on. And, he doesn't seem to be listening. He's no. always, always got his headphones in. So yeah, I agree. He hasn't been my favorite in work that he's done so far, but he pulls this off as he pulls off these jobs and uh, it's just very, very well put together. A- and another, another example of how Edgar Wright goes about his type of, of storytelling and, uh, this one may have, this was not a comedy, obviously. It's got some funny lines, as have the other ones have been, like Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead and things no, like that. No, but you're right. This is an action film. Oh, yeah. Very... And, a,
1: and a very impressively put-together action film.
0: Yeah. So this one may expand his, uh, his reach a little bit. And I, I, I have a feeling this is going to be a pretty big hit. Yes. So we'll see where he goes from there. But he certainly has his, his stamp, his uh, brand of movie making. And I, I know we've talked to a, you know, at least a couple people who aren't fans of that style. We are, and this one this one works, Baby Driver. Next up this week, another sequel, another part three. This time, Gru meets his long-lost, charming, cheerful, and very hairy, more successful brother, twin brother, Drew, who wants to team up for one last criminal heist in Despicable Me 3.
1: How could you let Balthazar rats just get away? You're fired! I really must have a word with you on behalf of your twin brother, Drew. What? Twin brother? Twin
0: brother? Please do that? You ready to continue the family tradition? You and me? No. I left that life behind me. Just one heist. Mm. What's the difference between me and you? This does not mean that we are going back to being villains.
1: Oh. Luca! Bueno? Yeah.
0: You know, the funny thing, we're up to three in this series, also counting the Minions. They had their own spinoff. I had to do a little research just to remember what happened in Despicable Me 2.
1: And the truth is, it's not because you missed the movie. No. As we discussed, you actually are the one. You reviewed all four of these. All of these, You wrote the review for all four.
0: All four of these. And they're just, to me, they're fine, but the most memorable thing about this entire franchise is how forgettable it is.
1: It's true. And it's it's funny because you know the characters are well. First of all, the minions, of course, are just awesome. They are everybody loves minions, and um, you know, I very much like Steve Carell. I like the character of Gru. I love the three little girls. You know, it's it's just that the stories are very. Eh.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. I was especially disappointed and surprised with minions because, you know, the minions in part one just steal it. Oh yeah. And well, well, they in steal all of them. most of them. Yeah, I say saying, okay, they're gonna get their own movie. Kind of like the uh the penguins of Madagascar. Sure, Remember sure. how they stole that movie? Yeah. Like, I want to see a movie about these characters here. And the minions didn't didn't do it for me either. It's no. just the stories don't get fleshed out enough. So here it's more of the same. Um it's it's totally fine. And and actually this one for me anyway, probably had the most laugh out loud moments of maybe okay. the entire franchise. I think the whole thing is pleasantly amusing. It's always pleasantly amusing, but how much actual really funny business is going on? I'd, I'd have to do more research, obviously, but I think for me, this one may have the most, uh, but it still isn't a lot. This time, Gru and Lucy, voiced by Kristen Wig. Uh,
1: underused, I think. Underused. Kristen Wig is so funny, she and in is. this movie, she's basically just trying to be a mom. Right. I mean, let me with you, I didn't really care for that whole storyline.
0: Yeah, not certainly not a lot done with that. But, uh, yeah, they are trying to be just super agents. Gru is a good guy now. And so they've teamed mm-hmm. up as a mm-hmm. Mr. and Mrs. super agent. And they're being parents to the three adorable daughters who like to say fluffy. <laughs> and I love to hear them say that <laughs> and all these other adorable things. But uh, so, yeah, so Gru finds out he has his long lost brother, Drew. And uh, Drew wants to pull him back in. They pull me back in to villainy. He wants him to pull off another another heist job. Here's another heist movie. And steal a gigantic diamond, the biggest diamond in the world, from this 80s-obsessed bad guy named Balthazar Bratt. And he's voiced by South Park's Trey Parker.
1: And he's a, he's a fun villain because he's very committed to this bad 80s business but as you and i were saying of course we've watched south park for years for decades it's just he sounds too much like randy marsh (laughs) he
0: does yeah and i love randy marsh uh so that got me an extra chuckle but yeah this this villain brat is a former child star who in the 80s who couldn't then you know transform it into adult stardom so he's gone bad but he's stuck in that 80s He's got an '80s catchphrase: "I've been a bad boy" from his TV show. He's Got show. shoulder pads yeah, and, an and incredible mullet.
1: Moonwalks a lot. Yeah,
0: yeah. So you know that has potential there, and it he does. And A, keytar. a, a keytar, right? It does lead to some <laughs> a couple of funny uh, bits. There's a dance off. There's an '80s dance off between uh, Brat and Gru, uh, which works. And also going back to the Minions, I thought one of the other successful set pieces from this movie: the Gru, the uh, Minions in prison awesome It's very funny oh my god it's so great that is inspired so again it's not like it's a horrible movie at all and the kids are going to appreciate the the frenetic zaniness yep. of everybody and the parents will get you know what you'll get a nice chuckle and amusing and you won't go out thinking that you wasted your money but again you won't remember it very long no. either. and by the time despicable me four comes around you're going to be saying which was the one with the twin brother again <laughs> so it just continues and it's it's not a a shock really because the directors and the writers the team they really everybody you look at the names and it's people that have worked at least in some capacity on all the movies in the franchise so they're back doing the same thing it's really i can see why if they're making money they want to do the same sort of uh, deliver the same sort of goods that the audience is expecting but for me it would have been nice to see maybe a little uh, injection of something new something fresh to take it to maybe flesh out the story a little bit more it didn't have that so for me it's just More of the same, which is perfectly fine and nothing more for Despicable Me 3. Next up, a movie that's been getting a lot of buzz for awards and uh, other things. It's the story of a girls' school in Virginia during the Civil War, where the young women have been sheltered from the outside world, and a wounded Union soldier has been taken in. And soon the house is taken over with sexual tension, rivalries, and an unexpected turn of events. It's Sofia Coppola's The Beguiled. You're a most unwelcome visitor, and we do not propose to entertain you.
1: You'll find them easily amused.
0: You won't be here long enough for that. If you could have anything in the world, what would it be? To be taken far away from here. Come with me. He seems to be a sensitive person. Does he? It seems the enemy is not what we believe. I hope you like apple pie. Is that my recipe? It is. (laughs) So this, you might be aware of the 1971 version called The Beguiled with... Clint Eastwood. Now, this is not a remake of that movie. Rather, it's a remake of, it's another adaptation of the book that that movie came from. But if you've seen the Clint Eastwood version, boy, the differences are going to jump out almost immediately.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, the Clint Eastwood version, as you said, was 1971, and it screams 1971. <laughs> you know, it's so pulpy. So it's pulpy. It's so pulpy. And this one is, is absolutely not. And Sofia Coppola, this is probably her most critically acclaimed film since lost in translation, and and I think probably the most traditional type of film she's made. It looks glorious. It really I mean does. It, She really has such an eye for for framing just ornate beauty, which is what you find here. Yeah, she and does. And the cast is amazing. We start with Colin Farrell, who plays the Clint Eastwood role. He plays the wounded Union sh- soldier. And, and it takes a very, very different approach to it, you oh, know. Right immediately, from the, immediately <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, it's 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 hard to determine whether he's just grateful to be here, or or whether he is kind of working some angles, or whether it's just it's just a survival instinct, mm-hmm. you know, or or whether he's a bit of a psycho. You really, it's very hard to tell. And then all of the female characters, starting from the top with Nicole Kidman, magnificent as Martha Farnsworth, who runs the school for girls, and it's just, I mean, it's not like it's. Uh, Full to brimming with students there are four or five students right. one other teacher and then martha farnsworth so it's it's really just a a group of of young women who really don't have anywhere to go until the war is over hoping nobody bothers them at this school there's a lot of tension obviously and of course there's southerners and he's a he's a northerner and the only reason that they let him in is because one of the little girls the one who found him uh it's, it's just a christian imperative and then and that's really another one of the of the tensions in the film is whether to turn him over or whether not to because what does patriotism as good southerners tell them to do but then what does their because it's a catholic school what right. does their christian upbringing tell them to do which i think was not really explored in the Clint Eastwood version that i think is a, is genuine and relevant here it's not sort of a toss off sort of excuse
0: Yeah and not only that but the longer it goes on why are they not turning him over and maybe they're making up excuses for not turning him over when they have ulterior motives for not turning him over.
1: On the other hand, I honestly think and I think that this would be true even though he is he's the enemy, right? When you're they're aiding him because they need to because he will die. Well, he's a human being and you yeah. just grow develop a fondness like you would oh, for yeah. a dog. Oh, now, no. now depending on the age of the female and of course the way he interacts with them because he's very flirtatious and let's be honest he looks like Colin Farrell that's not hurting anything. So so there is always there's that as well but I do think that unlike in the in the first version there is just the sense of when you bring a human being into your house and then especially if you work to help this person heal the last thing you want to do is see somebody else kill them.
0: Oh yeah. No, it works. I don't, I don't mean to to imply that it doesn't work it does especially when contrasted with the original movie because since we didn't read the book it, it's hard not we have seen the movie. It's, right. it's hard not to contrast it with the movie version, although again, it's not a remake of that. But uh, the original version was not only was more sexual hysteria than sexual tension. Yes, and that's a huge difference huge. here. Plus, in the first movie, it, they used the director used a lot of flashback and internal monologue. That was the worst. Which was pretty bad. Uh, this doesn't have that. This is understated in those ways. But yet, the the rivalries within the between the women in the house really start to bubble up in a very uh, natural and organic way. And then you start seeing how the soldier, uh, McBurney, can use that to his advantage. And the longer it goes on, you know, you start to think, okay, he is conniving. He is. And how long has he had this plan in motion Mm -hmm. from the first minute or? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's a lot a lot of uh, politics of different kinds at work inside the house and With these skilled performers and this director, it's really fascinating to watch.
1: I think, I mean, we should mention also Kirsten Dunst, who is absolutely wonderful in this. And, of course, Elle Fanning. Both of us are huge fans of Elle Fanning. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And one of the things that I think Coppola does really well is it's a very languid approach for a long enough time. And, and you just watch the characters interact and you get to the point where you understand what their motivations are. You, you know, and especially the younger girls. It's very authentic to the way kids would see things. And then, of course, the whole thing, there's a, a, a pivotal, you know, moment where where sort of the power shift uh, explodes and uh, and it takes a turn that doesn't feel, well, pulpy. I mean, it feels authentic, and, of course, it it, it just explodes into a a great deal of drama, and and it's just a beautifully put-together movie.
0: By the way, we didn't mention, Sofia Coppola won Best Director at the recent Cannes Film Festival, which is the, was she the first? Second. Second Second time
1: in the history of the film festival that a woman won for Best Director.
0: So there you go, and I certainly expect her to be in the running for Best Director uh, this Oscar season and probably this film, so uh, it's a good one. Don't miss it. The Beguiled. And finally, new in theaters this week, the new one from Will Ferrell and Amy Poehler. A dad convinces his friends to start an illegal casino in his basement after he and his wife spend their daughter's college fund. It's the house. Alex thinks we can afford tuition and we can't. We gotta lie. That's what parents do. Because otherwise the kids are going to realize that we don't know what we're doing.
1: Welcome. I have a way for you guys to make four years tuition in one month. Underground Casino. Seems to
0: check out. Do this math. You're 40 years old and you go to jail for 20 years. How old are you when you get out? 90. No. 100. Honey. If I have some scratch paper, I can figure it out. So for
1: just a minute, George, you were worried that this was going to be something else entirely.
0: (laughs) Yeah, the movie maybe that I argue with people the most is that Japanese quote-unquote horror flick Haosu or House, which I hate so much. And I don't hate it. I don't hate it, do I, George? Everybody loves it. I'm very, very fond of that movie. man. But no. If you haven't seen it, and you probably haven't, you should look it up. It's a great movie. And by great, she means (laughs) bad. (laughs) But let's focus on this. Will Ferrell and Amy Poehler, they're both funny. High hopes for this. You put them together, hey, they can do funny things. but Unfortunately, I'm, it seems like that's what the filmmakers thought, too. It, it seems so. Yeah, and it was a bit curious because the, the pair of writers, Brendan O'Brien and Andrew J. Cohen, uh, they both wrote, among other things, the main things on the resume, are the two Neighbors movie, Neighbors and Neighbors 2 Sorority Rising, which we both liked. We liked
1: both of them uh, very much. I thought they
0: were very funny and well done. And this time, uh, Cohen, uh, one of the writers, makes his feature debut that as a director. That may be part of the problem. Yeah. Uh, although the script is not the funniest thing in the world, it's, this movie is not fleshed out well at all. So many ends, contrived loose ends, are left hanging, and it's just a premise that, uh, you know, honestly, a similar premise was done better by the Flintstones years ago. <laughs> I don't know if, if you're a Flintstone fan, as I am, but there's the one where Fred and Barney and all their male friends, they end up having a secret card-playing club. I think it's Daddy's Anonymous. They, have, they all go and walk their kids, and they end up, you know, at this club, and so the cops <laughs> catch on because they see all these strollers. Well, it's kind of the same way with this. What they end up doing, what the people in the neighborhood end up doing is parking at a nearby supermarket and going and buying a, a piece of gum or a pack of gum and then walking through the woods to this house so they don't have to park in front of the house all the time. So eventually that gets the cops, you know, there's a ton of cars at the mart over here, and where's everybody? But anyway, so, yeah, the premise is the, the Johansons, Will Ferrell and Amy Poehler, their daughter gets accepted to Bucknell. They don't have the money to send the daughter to Bucknell University, so their crazy neighbor, Frank, who's played by that Jason Manzukas, who has been in a few comedies. He's got that crazy unkempt hair and that full beard, and he's just funny. He is funny. He's, a, he's a, just a wild, frenetic kind of guy. And uh, he's a funny actor, as a lot of these actors are. Not only Will Ferrell and Amy Poehler, but the entire cast is populated with faces. You might not know their names, but you're like, oh, that guy. Right, exactly. That lady. Right. I've seen them, and they're all funny. Uh, and so that's the thing that we've already mentioned in this movie. It seems like the filmmakers just like, oh, you people are all funny. Just, you know, we'll just have this house. You go do funny things. Exactly. And it doesn't really, really work too well. They end up having this, it's basically. Just a bunch of extended riffs on, you know, stuffy suburbanites getting Vegas fever and going all soprano acting. You know, suddenly they're, you know, pit bosses and things like that. And it it gives somebody, I mean, for me, I think Will Ferrell is so funny. I know not everybody does, that he can take a really mundane line. And just by the way he delivers it, make it funny. Right. And he does that on occasion here. And Amy Amy Poehler can do the same thing. But there's just there's just not enough here. So much of it is so obvious and lazy and just not well put together at all. It's a a bare 88 minutes, and that may be taking it to the very end of the credits, which, by the way, I've come up with a formula (laughs) about these comedies, and the formula is D equals SO squared. The D is the desperation of a comedy. It's the speed, S, of the outtakes, O squared. How quickly... (laughs) <laughs> Do those outtakes come on after the movie's over? And I'll tell you what, in this one, they come on pretty darn quick because they're so desperate to send you home laughing, to walk out going, oh, I was laughing at that, laughing at the outtakes. And it, you know what? It's a formula that holds pretty well if you look back over the comedies of the last few years, and this one it does, because it's not funny enough throughout the whole movie. And even even the outtakes aren't that funny. Yeah. You would think there'd be some hilarious outtakes here, and, and there really aren't. So that's even... That's even worse. That's more telling. Yeah, it is more telling. And there's just, there's just not enough here, and it's unfortunate because there are talented performers. And like we, like we said, even the writers, I could expect more from this. But it's a, it, a disappointment, and I expect the house to disappear pretty quickly. But we've got a good one opening in a few theaters, but mainly it's going direct to streaming video this week. And it's a love story set in a community of cannibals in a future dystopia in a desert wasteland in Texas a muscled cannibal breaks the important rule don't play with your food it's the bad batch and it's by a director Anna Lily Amirpour that we love the girl walks home a girl walks home alone at night which was her debut i believe it was and we've been looking forward to what she's going to do next and here it is
1: yeah if you haven't seen a girl walks home alone at night you absolutely should and Loved it, it. she describes it as the first Iranian vampire western right so and good it's, it's so great and it tells the story of this solitary woman who kind of <laughs> lives in this wasteland, and, and the importance of unexpected companionship, which is the same basic story as she's telling again. So, <laughs> so I hope you liked it the first time. But in this time, it's uh, Arlen, who is one of the Bad Batch. And they it's, it's fascinating because they explain the Bad Batch as the credits roll, a black screen. You don't see it. You just hear what it is. And it's basically, it, as, you, as you learn, it's basically any unwanted so it doesn't really matter whether it's an immigration problem whether it's petty theft whether it's drugs whatever what they just do now in this in this future is they they drop you off in this desert wasteland behind this high locked fence and you don't know how mad max it's going to get for a couple <laughs> of minutes and then in this huge vast wasteland there are two thriving communities the bridge people who um I don't think that steroids are readily available, but they're getting a lot of protein. (laughs) So it's these huge, Jason Momoa is among them, these huge people. And basically, they collect the the new drop-offs and eat them. And then there's another community, Comfort, which is another fascinating community. And and it's led by Keanu Reeves as the dream. And not only Amapur makes a lot of metaphors about American society by looking at these two different... Sure. But what I think is fascinating is how many big stars pop up in this movie. Jim Carrey is in it. He's a pretty big character, no lines. You're going to have to ask yourself, like, 40 minutes, wait, was that Jim Carrey? <laughs> um, and, and, of course, Keanu Reeves, who's great, who plays this, uh, this guru, you know, and he, and he has this big, giant mustache. It's a weird film. It's, it's a horror film for about the first 20 minutes, and after that it really isn't. But the first twenty minutes are brutal, brutal. Yikes! Um, uh, but the the performances are great. It's when she does a film, the soundtrack and visuals uh, are really masterfully put together. It's not going to be everybody's bag, but I I enjoyed it very much. I don't like it nearly as well, to be honest with you, as a girl walks home alone at night, which is really one of my favorite films of the last ten years. But but it's a it's a great follow up.
0: Few things new on home video this week. Only a couple that we would recommend: T Two Train Spotting, the sequel to Train Spotting. I think. We liked that better than a lot of people did.
1: Oh uh, well, you know what? We liked it better than Christy Rob, who reviewed it for us,
0: actually. Yeah, she's one of our writers at MadWolf.com. She didn't care for it. We we liked it better than that.
1: Right, we did. It it it's too probably too faithful to the original, but it's it's probably too nostalgic. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it's it's a well-made film, and uh, and it does kind of if
0: you're a fan of the original, yes. you know, it was a
1: thing. It's 50, fifty. If you love the original, you might hate this one. If you love the original, <laughs> you might just be happy to see them again. So that's it's kind right.
0: Of, Also, a recommendation for The Autopsy of Jane Doe. Sort of a quiet, kind of under-the-radar horror film starring Brian Cox and Emile Hirsch. They work really well together. They're a father and son coroner, and they get this strange body to do an autopsy on, and that body has secrets, and things start going awry. So I liked it. And it's the
1: same people who made Troll Hunter a few
0: years ago, which we loved. Yeah, kind of a a B-movie sort of approach, but uh, I liked it. Right up to a very, very effective final shot ones that we didn't care for, chips. No, no, don't watch it. No, Power Rangers. Good lord, no. No, and Berlin Syndrome. We were. Um, I guess. I guess we can say we liked that well enough.
1: Yeah, we did. And that Berlin Syndrome is only going to be available on DVD and Blu-ray, not streaming this week. And it's um, it's an interesting sort of tourist horror film. Uh, well acted, slow moving, yeah. and and thoughtful. I liked it a lot. It reminded me a little bit too much of Hounds of Love, which we loved, so it kind of suffered by comparison. It's not as brutal as Hounds of no, Love. No, not nearly. But,
0: yeah, Teresa Palmer is the star in The Captive, uh, and she's better than she's ever Absolutely. been. Absolutely, no question. So, yeah, that one that we I guess we did like better than, than uh, some of the others in Chips and Power Rangers, for sure. Uh, next week, a couple of big ones. Spider-Man Homecoming. We've already seen it. We liked it a lot. We will talk about it next week. And also Sam Elliott getting top billing in The Hero. That one looks interesting.
1: Love Sam Elliott. Love, love Sam him.
0: Elliott. So we'll talk about those and more next week. Uh, keep the conversation going. As always, you want to talk about any of these films, we love it. On Twitter is the easiest way. We're at Mad Wolf. M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. By the way, got to say thank you to Linda from Boston. Yeah. Uh, you can check out anytime you'd like to uh, download this uh, podcast on Apple Podcasts or any other way. It's always available on demand. Linda left a nice comment on Apple Podcasts, and we thank you so much, Linda. We appreciate that. Thank you. And if
1: you like the show, you can do the same. If you don't like the show, please don't. (laughs) That's
0: right. Uh, And you can always check out the written reviews of these movies and more on the main website, which is madwolf.com, on Facebook. Find us at Mad Wolf Columbus. And uh, the Screening Room Podcast is a presentation of the Columbus Radio Group and MadWolf.com. Until next week, I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. Thanks, Linda. <laughs> I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.